Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Let me um, start off this morning by asking everybody a question. Has anybody ever been to another place, another region, uh, where they don't speak the same language as you do? Has anyone ever experienced that before? The language barrier? Okay, a few of you have. I've done some trips uh, to different places around the world, and I have definitely experienced the language barrier. And let me tell you, there's nothing more frustrating than when you can't communicate with someone when you're trying to communicate with them. And so um, one particular time I can remember in 2009, I took a group of students to El Salvador, the country of El Salvador. And at that time, I, uh, I really didn't speak a lot of Spanish. I never took Spanish in high school. I took German. Why? I, I don't know. Have I ever used that in my life? No, never used it. Um, should have took Spanish. But when I left there, I didn't really speak Spanish. I've been doing a podcast for a while that taught you how to like, learn Spanish, but I didn't really have much. Um, so by the time I got down there, um, obviously we're only down there for like 10 days or so, and it's really not enough time to learn the language. You just pick up tidbits here and there. So they would give us nationals is what they called them, the organization that we worked with. They were students that were going to ministry school, and they spoke both English and Spanish, and they were our interpreters for the week. And so while I was down there, um, one of the things that we would do is we would do street programs. So we would, like, set up, they would teach us these dances and these uh, clown things, and we would set, we'd draw a crowd, basically. And then at nights, we would kind of draw a crowd in the street, and we'd get to preach to adults, because in the daytime, usually it was kids, but at night, we'd do adults. And so I had the opportunity to speak. I was pretty excited about it. I never had preached with an interpreter before, but I had the opportunity to speak that night. They asked me to, to bring them the word, and so I got it prepared. I was already, I was all set, and uh I started to, we, we were getting ready, and I started to get ready to preach, and I noticed that there were some storm clouds coming our way. Well, I'm not really used to the weather there, okay? I'm used to the weather at that time in the plains of South Dakota where you can see a storm coming for three days, you know? Um, this is El Salvador, and there's kind of a mountainous country, and so things come up on you pretty fast. So I didn't know how much time I had, but um, I, was, I started preaching with my interpreter, and basically what you do is you say a sentence, and then you kind of wait for your interpreter, and your interpreter interprets. So I had said basically, hi, my name is Jared. I'm from South Dakota and, and uh, in the United States of America. I've been down in El Salvador for a week and I love the people. And so I had to, you know, I'd say that and I'd have to wait and say it and wait. And then I said, and I love the people of El Salvador. And, and then he would say it. And then I said, and I love pupusas. Pupusas are this national dish from El Salvador. It's like a really thick tortilla stuffed with beans and cheese and meat, and it's delicious. And I, so I said that, and right as I said pupusas, and, and the, the interpreter got done saying pupusas, the rain just woof, came down on us. And so everybody had to run to the bus, and that was it for the night. And I was done. And that was my experience trying to communicate. I was like, if I could have said it myself and I could have understood them, I could have said it a lot faster and, and gotten the message across. But instead, I got um, berated, not berated, but I got made fun of on the way home by the nationals. They were like, oh, Pastor Jared, when you talked about pupusas, God really moved on my heart. And, God... <laughs> and I was like, shut up. <laughs> and then, uh, then a little bit later on in the week, this is right before we're going to leave, I had gotten a little more confident in my Spanish. Uh, they'd given us little tidbits to use with the kids, like little things we could say to have conversation with them, like, what's your name? How old are you? What do you like? Things like that. Um, my Spanish at that point was to the point where I felt like, you know what? I, th I think I got this. And so we went to a gas station, and there were hot dogs there, and I wanted a hot dog. So I knew the word for hot, caliente, and I knew the word for dog, perro, okay? So I went up to the lady at the counter, and I said, uh, uno, Uno caliente, pero por favor. So one hot dog, please. 
She looked at me. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I stepped back. Well, sometimes they flip their words around. And so sometimes I thought, well, maybe it, you have to say dog hot, you know? Sometimes in, in other languages, it's like subject, object, verb, object, subject, verb, that kind of thing. So I said, uno, uh, pero caliente, por favor. And again, she just looked at me. I was like, all right. I'm obviously not saying what, I, what I'm supposed to be saying. So I called one of the nationals. I said, hey, um, in the national, the, the guy, he came to the counter where the lady was. And I said, how do you say hot dog in Spanish? I'm trying to order a hot dog. And he goes, like this to me, and he goes, hot dog. And she's like, oh! And she went. And I was like, you jerks. <laughs> when you can't communicate with someone, it's incredibly frustrating. I don't know how many of you remember being parents or some of you that are now in the middle of it. When you have babies and you have toddlers and they cannot yet talk and they're crying and they're freaking out and you've done everything you know how to do, how many of you ever found yourself saying, what do you want, right? What can I do for you? Talk to me. And you know they can't talk, but you say it anyway. There's something really frustrating about not being able to communicate with people when you want to communicate. It's, it's something we don't often think about, but imagine trying to communicate when you've lost four of your five senses. Imagine not being able to communicate when you can't see and you can't hear. And uh, this was the story of a, of a lady who was found in that very position. There's a name of the lady named Laura Bridgman. Laura Bridgman was born in 1829 in New Hampshire, and she contracted scarlet fever when she was only two years old. Left her without smell, left her without taste. Okay, any of you that had COVID maybe can relate to that. But worse than that, it left her without sight and it left her without hearing. It left her with one input device, one sense that she could use to talk to the world around her, and that was her touch. And so from the age of two to about the age of seven, she would just throw temper tantrums because she would get frustrated because she couldn't communicate with her parents. And they were frustrated, obviously, because they couldn't communicate with her. And by the time she was seven, she was strong enough to where the only person she would listen to was her father because he could physically overpower her. But nobody else could handle her. And so there entered a man by the name of Samuel Howe. And Samuel Howe had started a school for the blind about five years previous. He'd heard of Laura's predicament, and he came to the house and he asked the family, hey, would you mind if I take Laura and I try to teach her to communicate? And obviously at this point, they were so flustered, they said, yes, absolutely, please take her. And so he took her to a school for the blind and he tried to get her to communicate. So he had to create a system in order to do that. And his system was this. He took everyday objects like keys or knives or forks or different things you might find around the house and he had one of those raised label makers. I don't know if you remember those, they're plastic and it kind of punches the letters up. And he would take those and he would make labels for each thing and he would stick it on those individual things so that when she, when she touched the key, she would touch the label and he was trying to get her to associate the label with the item. So then his next step was to, once she got familiar with that, was to take the label off and to put the labels in a pile and then she, he would give her one item at a time. She would take the item and then she would try to find the label that matched and she was able to do that. And so that was kind of a step in the right direction. But he, at that time, he thought, well, maybe she's just trying to memorize this. Maybe it's just a memory thing. Um, then he took it another level, and he started cutting up the, uh, the strips into individual letters. And so he would give her the item, and she would have to rummage through the letters and find the right letters. And she was able to find the right letters and put them in the right order to make the word 
that she would associate with the thing. And that was a huge breakthrough because now she started to understand that things have a name. And that was a huge, huge moment for her. And so that everything from that point on, she got really voracious and everything that she touched, she wanted to know what is this called? What is its name? And she started to learn and she went on to actually graduate from the school, went on to live a very successful life in, in many respects. And the fact that she lived at the school sometimes, she lived at home sometimes. She was hungry for knowledge. She would spend a lot of time reading. She loved to read. She liked to read the Bible. That was her favorite book. She, uh, she knitted. And I saw some of her knittings online. Pretty amazing, she was blind and deaf. And the other thing she liked to do is she liked to write letters to her friends and family. Can you imagine that? Blind and deaf, and she was writing letters. And the sad part is, as I looked at those letters online, I'm like, God, she's blind and deaf, and her handwriting is still better than mine is. And if you've seen my handwriting, you can attest that that's probably the truth. But that was Laura's story. Samuel Howe created a system of communications that's been used to pull deaf, blind people out of their darkness and bring them into the freedom of relationship. In the year that Samuel Howe died, a young, nearly blind student came to his school by the name of Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan, when she had graduated the school, used the same techniques that Samuel Howe created to teach a deaf-blind girl named Helen Keller how to communicate with the outside world. And as Paul Harvey would say, that's the rest of the story, if you remember Paul Harvey. We've been in a series in the Holy Spirit for a few weeks, and we're really, it's about taking a journey through the Bible and discovering where's the Holy Spirit been at work through the Word of God. We started all the way back in the book of Genesis, and the Holy Spirit shows up on the scene right away in the book of Genesis, doesn't he? A couple of, chap couple of verses in, and we see the Holy Spirit is there creating, helping God in the creation process of the world, God the Father. And so we looked at that, and then Pastor Barry took us to and talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then Pastor Barry, uh, the last time that he preached a couple weeks ago, talked about the judges. And there's a time period of people in Israel that ruled named the judges. And the judges would have the Holy Spirit come upon them and they would do great things in Jesus' name, or not in Jesus' name, sorry. They would do great things when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Like Samson, for example, he could do awesome feats of strength and rip a lion apart with his hands because the Holy Spirit came upon him. But that was the time period that Pastor Barry was talking to us about. So we continue on looking at where the Holy Spirit's working next in, this, in the story of humanity. And as we pick it up this morning, I want to introduce you to a new class of people from the Old Testament. They were called the prophets. The prophets. And I know you say that word prophet or prophetic. It really conjures up some crazy things in our mind. At least it does in mine when I think of prophets. I think of like a mystical person who shows up. You don't really know where they come from, but they deliver a cryptic message about the future and, and then all of a sudden they're gone and, and uh, they're just, you know, mystical sort of people that you don't really understand. But the prophets of the Bible were really not like that. The prophets of the Bible were ordinary people. They were farmers, they were craftsmen, they were aristocrats. They lived, for the most part, pretty normal lives. Some of them had families, some were poor, some were upper class and wealthy, but they came from all different walks of life. But they were just ordinary people that God had called for a special purpose, and that purpose was to communicate God's words. Sometimes the prophets would talk about the future. Sometimes they would just talk about what was going on in the present. Sometimes they would just deliver messages that the people of God needed to hear at the time. They talked about all kinds of things. But what's crazy about it is this, is for the last 2,000 years ago, we've been living in an age where we've had the Holy Spirit available to us on demand. We can pray and we know that God hears us. We can listen and we hear God speak to us. We have this communication with the Lord because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But in Old Testament times, like Laura Bridgman, they were in a place where they didn't know the wild, wide world of what God was doing. They didn't have the ability to hear from the Lord for themselves because the Holy Spirit was not working or was not in every individual. 
communicating with them. But they would call on God. God would listen to them. But because the Holy Spirit wasn't available to everyone, he had to find a way to communicate with them through different means. And that's where the prophets came in. Let's look at what the prophets did, and let's look at their motivation for ministry real quick. First Peter 1, 10 through 11 says this. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know the person or the time of the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So what is that verse saying? The verse is saying this. The prophets prophesied, they made careful searches and inquiries to know the person and the time of the Spirit of Christ. So what is, what is that saying? The, the, the phrase, the Spirit of Christ, is synonymous or, or can be synonymous, is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. So they prophesied by the Holy Spirit is what that verse is saying. If you jump into Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 52, it says this. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit, okay? So how are they resisting the Holy Spirit, the men that they're talking to? You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? So they persecuted the prophets. That's how they resisted the Holy Spirit. So by implication, the Holy Spirit was with the prophets, correct? As we read that verse in chapter 7, verses 51 of Acts. So like Samuel Howell, God needed a system to communicate with his people. And we see through these verses that the system God created to communicate with his people was through the Holy Spirit. The same thing that he does now by the Holy Spirit, except they didn't have it individually, so God would give individuals messages through the Holy Spirit that they were to deliver to the people. And that's how we see the Holy Spirit working in the prophets. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is synonymous with prophecy. I mean, it makes sense. And as I was studying this out, I was like, well, duh. I mean, prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were spoken to. When you look in the New Testament on the day of, the, of, the, the day of Pentecost or any time there was baptism of the Holy, Holy Spirit or people were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was because, or it was always accompanied by, by two things explicitly. One was by tongues and the other was by prophecy. So the Holy Spirit shows up and people begin to prophesy. If you look at the, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 12 in the New Testament, when they list the gifts of the Holy Spirit, guess what's in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Prophecy. Prophecy and the Holy Spirit are synonymous with each other. There's a whole classification of books in the Old Testament called the prophetic books. And they're even broken down into minor prophets and major prophets. Minor prophets are called minor because their books are shorter. Major prophets are called major prophets because their books are longer. It's pretty, pretty simple how to, how to classify them. There were stories of the lives of the prophets and their messages to God's people. And just real quick, I want to show you where they fit in the timeline or tell you where they fit in the timeline. So you had um, the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Those are basically the forefathers of the, the Jewish and Christian faith. And then you have the time of the Judges, which Pastor Barry talked about a couple of weeks ago. And they ruled Israel for a certain amount of time. And then from basically from that time on, there was the time of the kings, the time of the exile, and the time of the return to Israel. And the prophets spanned that entire time. So from the time of the prophet, or time of the judges to the time of the New Testament, essentially the prophets were at work. There's a lot of them, and they said a lot of things. And so the question is, if the Holy Spirit was speaking to God's people during the time of the prophets, what was he saying? And as we read the books of the prophets, or if you study the books of the prophets, you begin to see patterns in their messages because the Holy Spirit, guess what? The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the things that he was saying in the Old Testament, guess what? He didn't stop saying those things. He says them in the New Testament as well. He may say him in a little bit different way, but he's saying the same things. And as you study it out, you start to see patterns. So let's talk a little bit this morning. That's where I want to land is, what are these patterns that we see the Holy Spirit speaking to us in the prophets because those same patterns apply to us today? First of all, the Holy Spirit spoke to them of obligation. Obligation. If you're taking notes, that's number one. 
Isaiah 1-2 says this, Listen, heavens, listen, earth, and hear, for the Lord has spoken. Sons, that's relational language, I have raised and brought up, but they revolted against me. Okay? So God was constantly telling them, hey, I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. I am your God. I am your Lord. And then he would constantly remind them of who they are. You are my people. You are my children. Right here we see it, right in this verse. He was talking to them about covenants and uh, Leslie just got done teaching a great class for five weeks on covenant. He's talking about covenant. He came and he made an agreement with them way back in Abraham's day. And then he did it again through Moses. Reconfirmed that covenant that he had with them. It was an agreement between the two of them, between him and the nation of Israel. And he constantly reminds them of that. He has called them. He let them know that. In the Gospels, we see not only Jesus, but even in the New Testament, we see, we see this kind of relational language all the time. I want to read a couple of verses for you to let you know or show you what this is all about. Romans chapter 8, verses 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, that's covenant or that's relational language. And if children, heirs too, relational language, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffered with him that we may be glorified with him. Okay, there we go. The Spirit talking to us about who we are. We're, we're children, we're heirs with God. John 10, 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. That's us, by the way. He was talking to Jews and we are the other sheep, the Gentiles. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So again, it's relational language. Jesus saying that I am a shepherd and you are my sheep. If, you listen, if you're, you're going to listen to my voice and you're going to know it, it's relational language. It's reminding us of who we are. He's the shepherd that takes care of us. He's the one who leads us to pastures and he protects us and he does all the things that shepherds did in those days to provide for and care for the sheep. So it's relational language, God reminding us of who we are. So we see it in the Old Testament through the prophets all of the time. We see it in the New Testament as well. The Holy Spirit is saying to you today that you, he's he's saying two things to you. This is what you are, you are called, and this is whose you are, okay? He's saying those two things to you. You, this is what you are. You are capable of anything through his power. He's called you by name. When you look at the Old Testament prophets, God was talking to the nation of Israel, and he would say all the time, he would tell them, this is your mission in the world. You know, you're to take care of the, the, the poor and the widows and the orphans, and he would talk to them about their calling, and then ultimately he said, you're going to be a blessing for the nations. See, it was God's idea from the beginning to take the nation of Israel and, and let Jesus' line come through the nation of Israel so he could be a blessing to everybody. So it started with them, but it was for everybody. So he constantly, in the books of the prophets, is reminding them of what their calling is. How many of you know you have a calling? The Holy Spirit is talking to you about your calling. You have something that God has called you to do. You're capable of anything. And I think it's interesting that it seems like there's so many voices out there trying to tell us that we aren't called, not trying to tell us that the things that God's calling us to do aren't really valid. And it was interesting this week as I was listening to a podcast there's a pastor named Craig Groeschel. Some of you probably know and familiar with that name. Some of you not so much. But he is a, a pastor of a very successful church. He, he's the one who started the idea of having different campus churches. And so they have church on, on a Sunday morning, and they stream their church because they have churches all over the nation. I mean, I don't even know how many they have, like in the 90s or 80s. I, they have tons of churches all over. And he streams his service to all those churches. And he kind of created this model of the campus, campus church. And so anyway... Craig Rochelle, very talented individual, um, did some great things. He was telling a story about how when he went to seminary, uh, he went to seminary and uh, he wanted to be ordained in his denomination. He went to seminary and then he went to be a candidate for ordination and he went to get ordination from his denomination. And he sat down with his denominational leaders and they said, Craig, you know, you're a great guy. 
We think you got a lot of potential, but your potential just isn't in ministry. We think that you'd be better at doing something else. We just don't think that you're pastor material. And now here he is, probably the most successful pastor in the United States. But here all these voices are telling him, no, 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 this is not what you're meant to do. But he went back to the fact that he knew that God had called him to pastoral ministry. So I guess this morning what I'm saying is don't let voices tell you other things than what the Holy Spirit has told you about who you are. The Holy Spirit also talked about whose you are. What's your identity? That's what he was always talking to the Israelites about. When you know your identity, nobody can intimidate you or make you feel insecure. He was always talking to the Israelites about whose they were, who they belonged to. You are mine. You are my people. I am your God. He would remind them all the time of whose that they were because they would forget. They would backslide. They would go generations without knowing who God was, and he would have to shake them kind of and remind them about whose they were and who's, what their identity was because ultimately they were God's chosen people, chosen out of all the other nations, and you this morning are God's chosen people. You were chosen to serve him. You were chosen to live a life according to the Holy Spirit. And it's awesome because now that makes us, uh, that gives us the identity of being children of the king. And it makes me think of that movie, The Lion King. If you've ever seen that before, there's a, a young lion who's a prince and his father, the king, dies. And he goes off into exile, essentially, kind of self-exile. And he forgets who he was and he starts living among these other animals and just forgets until one day, um, one of the female lions comes and reminds him of who he is and shakes him and wakes him up and says, you are a child of the king. And then he goes and he, he remembers, you are meant for greater things than what you've become. You are more than you become, I think the line is. But I love that picture because it's a picture of us. We forget who we are. We allow people to get us down. We allow circumstances to get us down instead of standing up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am a child of the king. I have been called. I am the apple of God's eye. God sings songs over me. God thinks thoughts towards me. There's no reason that I should think I'm insignificant. There's no reason that I should think anything but the fact that I am a child of the king. And God reminds us of that. And if we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we'll know that. Because there's so many voices, and there's the voice of the enemy that tries to get in there and tell us the exact opposite. That we're worthless, that we don't amount to anything, that we're unimportant, that all we ever do is mess up. And then there's the voice of the Holy Spirit that's telling us who we are. And you have a choice of who you want to listen to. Because ultimately, those thoughts which come in the form of, or those, those voices that come in the form of thoughts in our mind tend to be who we are and how we act out. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. So if you're going to think on the thoughts that the enemy is going to feed to you, then that's who you're going to become. And you're going to be defeated, and you're going to be depressed, and you're going to be down, and you're not going to think you're ever going to amount to anything. Or, if you listen to the Holy Spirit, you're going to have confidence. You're not going to be intimidated by people. You're not going to be insecure. You're going to love people because you know that you have been called by God, and there's nothing that this world can do to you. Who do you want to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? God went through a lot of trouble to speak to his people in the Old Testament. One of the prophets, Isaiah, walked around naked for three years. God, called, God told him to walk around naked. He was, it was an example. It was like, a, um, like an object lesson, the fact that God was going to take another nation and he was going to decimate them so bad that they were going to be hauled off naked in the captivity. There was another prophet by the name of Hosea, and God told him, marry a prostitute. And so Hosea did, and this prostitute would leave him for other men all the time, and God would say, go bring her back, go bring her back, go bring her back. And the reason that God did that is to show the people of Israel he was telling them, hey, you guys have been unfaithful to me. You've gone and served other gods. You've gone and prostituted yourselves out. But I continue to take you back, and I continue to take you back because I'm faithful. 
There was a man by the name of Ezekiel, one of the prophets, and God told him to lay on his side for 400 and some odd days and cook all of his food over dung as an object lesson. God went to great lengths to capture the imagination of his people and to talk to them. The Holy Spirit is going to great lengths today to talk to you about who you are and whose you are and what you are and what you're called to. So listen to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit spoke about obligation. He also spoke in confrontation. Confrontation, that's number two. Because the prophets were called to speak to Israel during times when they were backslidden, they spent a lot of their time calling out the sin of the nation. Ezekiel 7.3, there's an example of this. The end is now upon you, and I'll unleash your anger, unleash my anger against you. I'll judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all the detestable practices. If you want to see a book where God is incredibly upset and you don't think God gets angry, read the book of Ezekiel sometime. <laughs> he spends a lot of chapters talking about how angry he is at Israel. After, and this is, this is the culmination of, of thousands of years of their sin and their waywardness. Again, in, in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit's talking about us um, working in the same capacity and, and doing the same things. John 16, 7 through 8, Jesus is saying this to his disciples. But I tell you the truth, it's for your advantage that I'm leaving, for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. So there we go. There's the Holy Spirit doing the same thing in the New Testament, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, Pastor Jared, that doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound uplifting. Are you here to tell me, Pastor Jared, that the Holy Spirit is just here to make me feel bad? Oh, absolutely not. He's here to convict you of sin. That's not a fun thing for any of us to go through, but guess what? Have you ever asked yourself, why does God convict us of sin? Have you ever asked that question? Is it because he doesn't like us and he wants to point out our faults? No. He points out our sin because it's the best thing for us. And not just for us, but for everybody else. Imagine a world without sin. What would that look like? Imagine it. There would be no ugliness in relationship. You wouldn't have to worry about people uh, lying to you. You wouldn't have to worry about dishonesty. You wouldn't have to lock the doors in your house. Security systems and security corporations would completely go out of business because you wouldn't have to worry about it because no one was stealing. No one was lying to you. No one was gossiping behind your back. No one was ditching you and going to someone else. No one was unfaithful to you as a husband or a wife. You wouldn't have to worry about those things. It'd be a great time. There would be no one calling you about your car's extended warranty because they wouldn't be lying, right? Anybody get those calls all the time? <laughs> What would a world without sin look like? It would be incredible. Yeah, there'd still be natural disasters and there'd still be, you know, things that would happen, that are, the accidents and things like that, but the sin, a, a lot of the problems and the issues that we have are created by people that are sin, right? No one would be able to blackmail each other. No one would be putting each other down. No one would be hateful towards each other. It would be a great society to live in. So why are we so afraid and why do we get so defensive when we talk about God convicting us of sin? It's the best thing for us and for our world. By showing us our sin, God's giving us a wake-up call that hopefully will lead us to repentance and transformation, make a better us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with unveiled faces looking, at a mirror in the glory, looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, <clears throat> excuse me, just as from the Lord, comma, the Spirit. So what's that saying? It says being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Being transformed in whose image? In Christ's image. 
from glory to glory, from, from one version of ourselves that's good to another version of ourselves that's better when we deal with our sin and allow the Holy Spirit to give us the power to overcome it by the grace of Jesus Christ. When we do that, we're a better version of ourselves. And guess who that's good for? That's good for us, and that's good for the people around us. Because when God deals with our sin, and we de- or when, when God helps us understand it and we handle it, then um, we become a better version of ourselves. If we want to live the best life that we possibly can, sin can't have a part of that life. We need to live as far away from it as possible. Like a good parent, the Holy Spirit convicts us so that we can learn, grow, and be our best. Sometimes we don't see the fact that we sin. We don't see those things because, you know, God takes us through this refining process and, like, he takes off big chunks of the beginning and really obvious things, and then it becomes more subtle because we become more refined. It's like taking um, a piece of wood, if you're a woodworker, and you take off the big chunks with really rough sanding paper, and then as you continue to refine the wood, you go down to a finer grit and a finer grit and a finer grit until it's almost like it's almost like paper at the very end, and you're sanding it down to make it as smooth and as nice as possible. That's what God's doing. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And that process is, it starts always with him convicting us of sin. So next time God convicts you of sin, instead of cringing at it, why not accept it and say, thank you, God. Thank you for convicting me because now I'm gonna overcome that by the power of the grace of Jesus Christ and I'm gonna become a better person because I needed to know that. You know, the Holy Spirit, like I said, is like a good parent. And we use this illustration a lot. There's things that my kids don't understand that I tell them not to do, but they wanna do. And my kids are a little older now, so mostly they understand. But when they're really young, I, I could tell them something like, I, I don't want you to play in the street. And that might be the coolest and the funnest place to play. They don't understand that. Is it because I'm mean? No, it's because I don't want them to get hit by a car. And I don't want them to learn that lesson by getting hit by the car. So I warn them that they're going to get hit by a car and not to play in the street. Okay? That's the same thing the Holy Spirit does for us. He convicts us of sin and helps us to avoid pitfalls in life and helps us to get better for everybody else around us as well. So don't ignore the Holy Spirit when he's speaking to you in that way. The last thing that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So he comes to us and speaks to us as of obligation, comes to us with confrontation, and ultimately it leads to our restoration. Restoration. The books of the prophets, almost without fail, would end with promises from the Holy Spirit concerning the restoration and victory of the nation of Israel. And so they would always start out with a really condemning message. They would start out with, this is, this is who you are. You've forgotten who you are. And this is what you've gone and done. And he talks and he convicts them of sin. But then he, oh, it always flips. Pretty much every prophetic book flips. And then they start talking about, but this is what I'm going to do for you. Even though you've done these things to me, this is what I'm going to do for you. You repent and I'm going to do these things for you. And God talks about hope always. Jeremiah 32, 41 is an example of this. Jeremiah was one of the prophets. He said, I'll rejoice over them and do good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. 2 Corinthians three seventeen in the New Testament says, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So here's the spirit of the Lord talking, or the Bible's telling us the spirit of the Lord is giving us freedom, giving us hope showing us that, yes, there is restoration in the Holy Spirit. So here's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament talking about hope and restoration, and here's the Holy Spirit in the New Testament talking about hope, freedom, and restoration in Him. If the Holy Spirit is communicating anything, it's that there's hope in Jesus. There's restoration of relationships, our spirits, and ultimately our bodies, and even this physical world. How many know that this world that we live on is not perfect, but someday it's going to be? It's going to be restored. That is one of the ultimate works of God. One of the ultimate works of the Holy Spirit is making restoration. Our bodies are going to be restored. Can somebody say amen? Amen. 
They get a little bit creaky. They get a little bit old. They get a little bit broken down, worn out. We need to replace them with new hips and new knees and new elbows and shoulders, right? Someday that will all be restored. We'll have perfect bodies that won't need any maintenance because they've been restored in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, maybe you're one of those people that's like me and you love to watch transformation shows. I don't know if you like to watch transformation shows, but I definitely do. It could be like, it could be a home renovation show where they have a before and after. It could be a car restoration show where they have a before and after. There was this whole show that they had for a while that was just one dude restoring old things. Um, and I loved it. <laughs> like, you know, whether it was an old, like, uh, cash register or an old uh, vending machine, he would just restore it and make it look brand new. And I just, it hooks me so much so that on my Facebook feed, I get these shows or I get these videos where people are taking cars and they're detailing them. That's how much I must like it because it's pushing it to me, okay, through my Facebook feed. And, I'm, and I just sit there mesmerized as I watch these really super dirty cars come in and get clean. And it's just satisfying to me to sit and watch that. I'd rather watch that than most anything that's on TV, I just sit and watch cars getting cleaned. I'm weird, I know. But who doesn't love a good before and after? Even if it's a person who lost a lot of weight, you know? We love a good before and after, don't we? That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do, to bring restoration to us. In that, that verse that we love to take out of context, Jeremiah eleven twenty nine. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Let me put it in context for you. That verse was because the nation of Israel at that time was incredibly far away from God. And actually, during the time of Jeremiah, there, a, a, an army came in to their land, destroyed their capital city, and, and hauled them off to another nation, which is now modern-day Iran. It was Babylon then. Hauled them off to another nation hundreds of miles away, and they were living in a place that was foreign to them, new to them, language was different for them, and they were completely defeated. Completely defeated. But here comes Jeremiah the prophet, and here's what he says in Jeremiah eleven twenty nine. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That was important, because they thought the Lord had harmed them, but it was their own sin that had did it. Not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. And yes, we use that verse out of context a lot, and I don't get too hung up on that, because sometimes God does speak and give us verses in the Old Testament that apply to us today. But that verse particular is meant for the nation of Israel. It was hope, it was restoration. It was God saying, listen, I know things are really bad right now. I know you're in a horrible place right now, a place that you don't want to be in, but there's hope because I'm gonna prosper you and I'm gonna give you a hope and I'm gonna give you a future. And if you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit today, you're going to have hope. God is full of hope. He's got it for days. And sometimes we get a little bit down because we sit and we listen to all the other voices that are around us. And we're not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if you need hope today, God has got hope upon hope upon hope for you. And he wants to restore you and he wants to do a new work in you. And so if you're a person who's just having a really hard time and you seem like you're really down, you're really kind of defeated, I, I want to tell you, you need to start listening to the Holy Spirit. He said it to the people of, the, of, the, of Israel way back in the day, and he's saying it to you tonight. Sometimes, a lot of times, even, even, even God would say sometimes in, in these covenants that are these Old Testament prophecy books, that like the people of Israel didn't even have to necessarily do anything. God just said, because you're my people, I'm gonna, I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna give you hope. I'm gonna give you a future. This is what I'm gonna do for you. It's not dependent on you, but it's dependent on how good I am. So don't get hung up this morning on the things that you fall short in. Don't get hung up this morning on thinking, oh, I, I, I don't deserve God's hope. I don't deserve restoration. I don't deserve the good things that God has to offer me because I've sinned and I've messed up. And yes, you have. 
First step is understanding it. Second part is repenting of it. But let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to give you good things. Any of you who are parents in here, you know that you want to give your kids good things. You know that your kids don't listen all the time. You know that your kids don't obey you all the time. But does that change the fact that when Christmas rolls around, you don't want to give them really cool gifts? No. If you were better this year, then I would have got you something better, you know? Maybe I did hear that in my family once in a while. But we don't. We don't think about all those things throughout the year that our kids did wrong when we're getting presents. We just think about how excited they're going to be when we buy them the thing that they really want. I like to put things in parental perspectives because it helps us understand the true heart and nature of Father God. God wants the best for you. Not dependent necessarily on you. Now, at the same time, God's not going to let you just sit in your sin for the rest of your life. He's not going to deal with that. But at the same time, man, God goes to great lengths to make his children happy. He goes to great lengths to make his children fulfilled. And not for our purposes, but for his purposes and for his glory. But he loves us with an incredible love that is very hard for us to comprehend. We get a glimpse of it as parents. But still, even that, I think, falls way short of who God is and what he, what he wants to do for his kids ultimately. He wants to restore us, make us brand new. As I'm closing up today, just like Ann Sullivan and Helen Keller, like Samuel Howell and Laura Bridgman, the Holy Spirit is taking us by the hand and trying desperately to communicate with us today. It's not hard to hear what he's saying because he's been saying the same thing since the time of the prophets. He's reminding you of who you are, what you are, and whose you are, convicting you of sin for the benefit of not just us, but for everybody else, and he, by his power, is restoring you to freedom and victory, and so there's reason to hope. Like Helen Keller and Laura Bridgman, our job is to learn the voice of the Holy Spirit, to listen to him, and to stay close. What does that look like, Pastor Jared? It looks like this. You spend time listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You, you got, sometimes it means shutting down some other things that are going on, because how many of you know there's a lot of noise in our world? Sometimes that looks like just shutting that, that stuff down, getting yourself away maybe even for a little bit to a place where you can kind of quiet, phys- physically be quiet and center yourself and listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen for that voice. And, and for me, honestly, I'll, I'll be real practical with you this morning. That voice is not like an audible voice that talks to me, Jared, you know, it's not like that. It's a thought that comes into my mind. It's a thought that lines up with the Word of God. It's a thought that lines up with my situation and what the Word of God says about my situation. Sometimes we talked about that, that thought comes as a, as a conviction that, hey, there's an area that you need to work on. Now, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation because the enemy brings condemnation. But what's the difference between those two? Well, the difference is condemnation always goes to your character. When the devil's trying to condemn you, he talks about how, how bad you are and how you fell short. When the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin, it always goes to what you did. Not how, not, not how you're wrong, not how you're bad, not how you're able to overcome they're not able to overcome it, but what you did, the act, the thing, it always focuses on that. So it doesn't point at you, it points at the thing that you did. Hearing that voice of the Holy Spirit is so paramount to living a Christian life that's going to be fulfilling because God is talking to us at all times. It's the, it, we, we serve a living God. We serve a God who's not dead. He's very much alive, and, and he's very much at work in the Holy Spirit in this time. And if we're learned to listen to him, um, he's going to do amazing things for us, but we've got to listen to that. We've got to learn that, like what I said, when that thought comes into your mind, you learn to trust it, you learn to act on it, and then as you see fruit produced from it, you continue to do the same thing. You hear it, and you act upon it, you're obedient, and there's fruit. And when you continue to do that over and over, guess what you get to do? You get to really understand the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
It's like anybody else. I can, hear, I can hear my kids' voices from the other room and know exactly which one it is. I can hear voices in the office during the week and I know exactly who's talking. Why is that? Because I've spent time with these people. I know their voice because I've heard it. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. You hear that voice, you act in obedience on that voice, you see fruit produced, and you learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. So the next time, you don't have to wonder as much, is this the Holy Spirit or is it, is it just me? You'll know because you spent time listening to his voice. All right. That's all I got for you this morning. I want to encourage you to take some time this week. Get alone with the Holy Spirit. Really start to hear that voice. And, and trust me, it doesn't take being alone in a certain place to hear the Holy Spirit. A lot of times, the Holy Spirit speaks to me throughout the day as I'm driving in my car, or I'm in the shower, or I'm sometimes in the middle of a conversation, I hear him speak, and then I just have to act on it. But I want to encourage you not just to hear the Holy Spirit, but also to act on what he says to you this week. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I want to thank you, God, for each and every individual that's here today. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit and the fact that you've been speaking, God, the same message all through the ages. Thank you, Lord, that this morning you're here to tell us who we are and what we are. God, what we're called to, who we are. Thank you, Lord, that you are convicting us of sin. Help us not to just reel from that, but, God, to embrace that and to change. Lord, I thank you that your word is giving us hope and that there's restoration in you and there's joy in you and we don't have to be down. We don't have to be depressed, God. We don't have to walk around with our, our heads hung low, God, just because we're in hard circumstances. But God, your joy transcends that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help everybody in this place to hear you this week and to act on what they hear. We love you, Lord, above anything else and we give you thanks today. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.